Hi, it's your favorite podcast host here of Working Harder, Not Smarter. I'm Maggie, and this is Jules. All right, and today, our first episode ever, uh, we are going to be talking about reflection in the classroom. For anyone out there that does not know already, I teach high school chemistry, and Maggie teaches sixth grade science. So we're both in the science classroom, but we're a couple grades apart. So we do differentiate based on that, but you'll find that we have a lot of common practices that we like to think are best practices. So we're going to start off with that. Uh, We first, both of us, uh, nine times out of ten or four out of five days a week, we do a daily check-in for students to take a moment to take a breath and then reflect on how they're feeling. We often call those stress checks. We use Pear Deck sometimes, which we're going to get about into another episode. But we use stress checks, which give you a one to zero to ten. Ten being like, I cannot regulate my emotions right now. Like, I need a breather. And a one being like, the world is awesome, sunny, no clouds in the sky type of vibe. So that's how we really start. Maggie? It really gives you an opportunity to see where the students are um, when you're starting class, uh, opportunities hopefully to check in on them throughout class or if nothing else later in the day, uh, as well as keep up with students who maybe only cite that 8, 9, 10 one day. And so they're, you know, they're having a bad day and that's okay. It happens. Um, but then also to notice the kids that are continuously having stressful, rough days and then um, to support them by referring them to counselors or pulling them aside uh, if you are able or uh, helping them get those supports that they need. Um, and also just is a good place to remind them that you are an ally to them and you are a support in them and that it is okay to struggle but it's not okay to struggle alone and that you are more than willing to help them through it yeah definitely going off that I don't know if Maggie does but I always tell my students where I'm level my level Mm -hmm. is at to be super transparent and be like some days are worse than others and if I'm having like a seven day like I tell my students that and I think that a lot of them really respect the fact that like if I'm having a bad day um like, it's okay, like, everyone goes through it, and I think it's healthy to model uh, self-reflective practices as an example in that stress check. For sure, modeling is always important when we're doing things, um, but it is a vulnerable thing to tell anyone um, where you are, especially if you're in those higher numbers, and so I also like to tell them um, where I'm at, and I like to give them a little bit of an explanation, like, this is what happens, this is why I'm feeling a little bit like this, or today is going better, Um, so I'm down here, um, and I think it makes them feel a little more comfortable and more safe that I'm willing to share with them. So there's that reciprocation. Yeah, definitely. So then our next thing, like as we're expanding out of our timeframes are our weekly check-ins. I think Maggie does this a little more than I do. So I'm just going to let her start off with that. Yeah. So, um, as you're probably aware of the world of education, it's a lot of online. Um, and so we have been online since March. It's been wild. Um, but something that I've been able to build more on are these weekly check-in opportunities. Uh, so they're just super short Google forms that you can post for the kids every week and have them fill out. It's a great way to keep track of attendance. So that's really lovely. Um, But then it also is a good way for you to check in on where they're at. So I usually ask them, um, what are you feeling on a scale of one to five? What's something good that happened last week? What's something that you're struggling with? Um, I ask them some weird, funny questions to kind of break down those barriers. So I ask them, like, if you were going to name a pet rock, what would you name it? Um, And so then they're kind of already answering questions. And then you can ask them some of the deeper questions of, like, well, how is everything going? What is stressing you out right now? What is, um, you know, what what can I help you with? How are you sleeping? Things like that that then they make feel more comfortable because some of those – you know, it's just a little less freaky once you've told me what your favorite or what you would name your rock. Mm-hmm, exactly. One of my favorite ones is, is if you could read anyone's mind, who would it be? Mm-hmm. Um, and then going off that, I think uh, Maggie does this as well. It's like one of my last questions when I, I do this like every weekly, every other week. So mine's more like biweekly. Uh, it's like, is there anything else you would like to tell mm-hmm. me? Just like that way. Sometimes they're just like, have a great weekend. Or sometimes they'll tell me about a party that not as much anymore, but let's hashtag COVID. Uh, <laughs> but 
but like they'll just tell me fun things and then that gives me something to bring up the next week to be like oh like how was your birthday or your mom's birthday or did you end up getting that pet cat or whatever uh and the fact that some of my students when I'm like oh like remember that about them they're like oh my goodness like like they're like blown away that's what I'm looking for like the fact that I actually took the time to read it so it Mm -hmm. adds to a lot of really great opportunities to build relationships yeah it's a really great way to get to know them um so we our new classes we've only had them online and so you just don't get to have those casual conversations with kids where they tell you about their weekend or they tell you what's going on in their life where you hear their interactions with their peers um and so asking some wonky questions or just asking them you know what did you do over the weekend gets to really know some of them and feel a little bit better about who the kids are in your classroom yeah for sure that's like my fourth period almost every day now because I ask their quest the one question I asked them was if you could be anywhere in the world right now like or like if you could fly anywhere in the world right now where would it be you'd go and that's how we start class almost every day now is that just my one student he always starts and be like hi Miss Bakuri I'm in Iceland today that's what his that's what he told me today and he said it's a it's the safest place in the world you could leave your baby outside napping and go to the store and your neighbors would watch them and I said <laughs> okay the more you know and then like and then half my class will just be like I'm in Paris today I'm in Colorado one student was like I want to be in my bed today I don't want to go anywhere so like that just is a funny now like almost like tradition that we have and that was built off like just a random question on my check-ins so that's something interesting mm-hmm. So let's go into our grading. Yeah, so um, we started with our daily check-ins that we have with our kids and the weekly. um, And then we also do grading period reflections. So we, in our school district, have six-week grading periods. Um, And so in middle school, you totally start over. Everything is wiped on day one of the new grading period. And so it's a really good place to be like, okay, today is a new day. It doesn't matter if you had an A last grading period or if you failed last grading period. We're here. We're starting over. And it's a good place to kind of set that reset. Um, And I really like to take that first day of the grading period and talk about, well, what are our goals? What are we trying to do here? And a lot of them will tell you that they're trying to get A's and B's. And um, for some of them, those are, you know, super easy goals because they're your honor students and they're going to get A's and B's every single grading period. And some of them, you know, they're your kids that can't seem to manage to pass a class. And so you're like, okay, maybe we should be looking for something a little different. Um, And sometimes those are a little disheartening too, because you're just like, I'm tired of reading every kid that wants A's and B's. Um, But some of them will be very honest in those reflections of, well, I want to make friends or I want to not have any late work. Um, And then even the kids that do say like, oh, I want A's and B's, they'll be very honest about uh, their work effort and be like, well, I didn't do any of my homework last grading period. And maybe I would have passed if I did my homework last grading period. Um, And so it's a really good place to then have a conversation with them and to know that they know what they need to do. They know what they're searching for. um, And you can start to partner with them in that moving forward and say like, now that we have this fresh slate. It doesn't seem as scary to get all your late work in. It doesn't seem as scary to get your assignments done. It doesn't seem as scary to get A's on your tests because you have that fresh conscience. And so it's a good place to kind of breathe, to look at where where you've been and where you're going. Yeah, you took a lot of what I was going to say. For high school, um, my school, we have year-long grading, so it isn't quite the reset that I wish I could provide for some of my students for sure, but it is, I think there's still an opportunity to reset and be like, well, I uh, did really well in my test last year or last semester, last six weeks, but I wasn't really that kind to myself. Like I had Mm -hmm. quite a few students who were like, my mental health went down the drain because I was so overwhelmed being in NTI and not knowing like how to separate myself from my schoolwork because I feel like schoolwork is going on 24-7. So it definitely gives them an opportunity to like reflect um, on how they want to be better, but also how in ways they they succeeded, even in small ways from the previous six weeks. Um, I think that, and I've had so many students be like so vulnerable to me about Mm -hmm. like, especially about their mental health in their grading period reflections. And that gives you like an opportunity, like some of my students, I referred to counselors like immediately after reading that, but also being like, 
let me connect you to a counselor because some of my, and some of those students were so grateful like to have that initial like connection because it's scary to like just reach out to counselors that they may not know especially if they're new to my school or just a little hadn't really met our counselor before so that was really important and then the last thing I want to add on that is I think like I always respond like thank you for sharing mm -hmm. and I cannot wait to see you succeed in all your goals please let me know how I can support mm -hmm. you and just like refer uh, confirming reaffirming um that you are their ally in this like very challenging time but like also when you're back in school like you are their ally and you want them to succeed and I think providing them space to reflect and be vulnerable proves that in mm -hmm. very tangible ways. Uh, so I think we've really demonstrated the purpose of these grading period reflections. Uh, but Jules, would you like to discuss a little more of how we facilitate these? There's some tips and tricks on how to get the kids to reflect and what modes we have them do. All right. So great question there. So Maggie already talked about this a little bit. You use, we use Google Forms a mm -hmm. lot. Um, I use that even when I wasn't in the classroom. Most, a lot of my reflections were on Google Forms. Um, last year I did monthly reflections rather than six week reflections, but similar ideas, similar questions of checking in. We also use Google Slides and Google, you use Google Docs sometimes, right? Or no? A little bit. A little bit, mostly Google mm -hmm. Docs or Google Slides with those different questions for them mm -hmm. to provide like a physical space to reflect and such. Yeah. So in middle school, I provide them a lot of question starters um, oh, and yeah. stems. So, you know, I, this is something that I did well last grading period. This is something that I did not do well. Um, and so they have the opportunity to pick those question stems that they want to go with, or they can, you know, at the very least and put in one word and answer 10 sentences. And um, so they have that minimum and the maximum effort. Um, and we also like to format it a lot as a letter because uh, we found that students were, are way more willing to reflect if it's a letter. Um, so I have them write to Dear Miss E um, and they tell me some things. And that also, I think, makes them feel a little more open to toss out the sentence starters and just tell me, you know, I'm having a really tough time with anxiety right now and I'm going to see a therapist, but it's not working um, or something a little bit more vulnerable than I have, I just want A's and B's. Yeah, you're really good about the questions. I haven't facilitated that as much as I would like to, but that's definitely a goal of mine to have like more of a, a letter format. But I think we always emphasize that like if you hate every single one of these things and you just need to write about like, I had some students just like talk about how their other classes are really hard. So it was just like an opportunity to vent and just be like, once again, thank you so much for sharing like that you felt comfortable sharing that with me. I really appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. Uh, so I think it's important to also emphasize and like not punish them or not punish, penalize them for like just throwing out those sentence starters, mm -hmm. especially if they're being very genuine. Uh, Absolutely. So those are my my tips. Um, and then sometimes I answer those questions in class as well, like going back to like modeling mm -hmm. behaviors and vulnerability, um, or I'll it just model that vulnerability in my like short response and feedback to them of like, I've been like really struggling mm -hmm. uh, with like my time management or whatever. So that's my another tip is like, once again, like be vulnerable with them to like, in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're children. So they don't they're not your therapist, but you can still motor, model vulnerability yeah. with them. Yep. The best way um, to keep in mind is to teach social emotional learning is just to show them your own social emotional learning journey. So mm -hmm. being vulnerable with them is a huge part of that. Yeah, for sure. So then I would say that our, we also do uh, project reflections. Mm -hmm. Project reflections, I think personally are really similar to grading grading period reflections in terms of like what was something I did really well in this project and what are ways I could improve and then I also have them like relate to like the outside world to like tie in our learning how it's relevant um because a lot of students sometimes struggle with like why is this relevant why mm -hmm. am I learning this those are my big yeah. questions so I think the major difference between project reflections and kind of as we segue it relates a little bit more to the content of it um but it's 
I like to make sure that those are good places for them to show me that they actually learned. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of kids, you'll ask them like, well, what did you learn? And I'm like, well, I don't even know. Um, And they did learn things, but sometimes that like actually thinking through the information that they got is important um, and a step that especially I think middle schoolers need to be taught to do. And so our project reflections kind of came from that space of not really understanding how it mattered or how it worked or why. Um, so we ask, I asked them like what things they liked and what they didn't like, but also what did you learn? How did you learn that? Why does it matter? And then at the end of the day, if you could only remember one thing from this project, what do you want it to be? And I like to give them that like one, that one thing that really should stick with you at the end of the day. I really like that question. I'm going to have to add that to my next one. I like that a lot. So Going back to what Maggie said in terms of, like, what did you like? What did you not like in terms of that? We also bring that into our classroom in terms of the ways that we teach them. And we both give feedback forms pretty often. Sorry, is there anything else you wanted to add in nope. Project mm-hmm. Reflections? Okay. Um, so we are, well, I do weekly feedback forms with my students. Do you do them, like, by No, I do them in the, um, at the end of grade. And, okay. Uh, so mine are almost weekly and they, you have to rank the activities that we did. So like from favorite to least favorite. Um, and then you have to identify one thing that was helpful. One thing that was not helpful, like Miss Bikiri, please never do that again. Like that was worthless. And what is like ways that Miss Bikiri could improve. And then like, also, like, what is one thing that you wish that you had learned or something like that? Um, and then I also throw in, like, a silly question that we've been talking about just to open them up. And all my feedback forms end with, is there anything you would like to tell me just to keep that communication open? So this gives students, like, a really good, like, they can see tangibly how their feedback is changing because my, like, the ways that I present information, the ways my projects are structured, like, from week to week, like, I can be like, oh, multiple people commented that you really like taking this type of guided notes, so we're going to do that again, and if that doesn't work this week for us, then we'll try something again, but, like, your feedback means so much Mm -hmm. to me, and I want to be the best teacher for you, like, that's how I always, always preview all of my feedback forms, is, like, please be honest because I want to be better for you mm-hmm. and I care about this classroom and the, like how you learn so much. Um, and I think like a lot of my students have commented like, thank you so much because none of my, te- I don't feel like any of my teachers listen to me when I provide feedback. So that's my biggest thing about feedback. Mine are weekly for the most part. Yeah. Um, I think the end of the day, the theme of our reflection um ideas and the things that we try to put in place and the perspectives that we try to bring to the classroom is again that idea of vulnerability and you have to have that in giving feedback forms you have to be prepared to like I think that this is something that I'm doing really well and you have to be very accepting of if 50% of your kids tell you that that's the worst thing that you've ever done, then like you need to stop doing that um, and be open to whatever suggestions they have and be honest with yourself that maybe they're telling the truth um, and that maybe they're not just saying those things to get back at you for that test you gave, but because they really do want your classroom to be a good, safe place. Um, and so if it's an attitude that you're asking them to bring in these different reflections and these different activities, um, but then you get to bring it through these feedback forms. Yeah, I think that rounds out a lot of what we've been saying this whole time pretty well is that we want to be better and for them and we want them to be better for them and our community at large so it creates a lot of positive learning experiences I would like to think <laughs> but yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope that these practices help you to develop your uh, teaching and to serve the students in your classroom uh, better this week than you did before. Perfect. Have a good day. Be safe out there. Okay, go. Hi, welcome back to your favorite uh, podcast, Working Harder, Not Smarter. I'm Maggie. And I'm Jules. And today we are going to be discussing um, social emotional learning, our favorite practices and tools for the classroom. So we are going to start off one of our favorite social emotional tools is, or practices, I guess, 
is daily affirmations that I super do with my students. And Maggie has a slightly different way that she presents it. But we're going to just model that for you real quick. So I, Jules, over here, I'm going to be modeling the teacher. And Maggie is going to be the student for this demonstration. So are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Okay. So you are strong. I am strong. I am, or you are powerful. I am powerful. You are loved. You are, I am loved. <laughs> you are worthy of respect from others and yourself. I am worthy of respect from others and myself. And you are exactly where you're supposed to be right now. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. All right, perfect. And then we start class. Yeah. So um, the reason we do this and other practices that are similar um, to back up with, you know, the purpose behind daily affirmations is that um, there's an incredible power to a student knowing that you believe in them and that you will believe in their ability to succeed and just their um, incredibleness as a human. And you will get so much more out of your students and out of, they will get so much more out of themselves when people believe in them. Mm -hmm. And it seems like such a small idea, um, but the amount of students that can make it to six or 10th grade without ever having a teacher tell them directly that they believe in them and that they believe that they have worth and can do whatever it is that they want to do is honestly staggering. Um, and so putting that power from day one into their them that you love them and that you believe in them does a lot and you will really change their outlook on themselves. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Going off that, I think that just our society at large, like, is really helps you learn how to hate yourself, like, not just the education system, but, like, just that you are not worthy and, like, you will not succeed. And capitalism tells us that, not that we're going to get into that. But I think being in the classroom, like Maggie said, there's so many of my students that I know were taught subconsciously or consciously that they weren't meant for school. And they come into the classroom, like, being 50. 15, and for most of those 15 years in life, school was not made for them. Uh, and this in those 55 minutes of class that I see them every day, or I guess now in NTI, see them twice a week for an hour. Like I want them to know how valued they are and school was meant for them and they can succeed just going off what Maggie said why I think it is so so important and I've spent a lot of my life not doing those affirmations for myself and I don't want other people like my students to feel that way so just like yeah that's it. yeah I think it's you know it's important to teach them science that's what our job is uh but it's also important to give them an identity mm -hmm. and to know that they are safe in your space uh, with you. So especially um, when we're thinking of teaching our students that don't look like us, so our, you know, kids of different uh, genders and different uh, racial identities and uh, different economic backgrounds, they're looking at us and thinking like, I have, this woman is not going to understand me. She doesn't get mm -hmm. me. Um, and so it's even more important that you tell them as much as you can that I love you. I see you for who you are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Spot on with what you said, Maggie. So we sure. start with our daily affirmations. We let them know that they're loved. We let them know that they are safe here. We let them know that we are happy that they came to class. Yep. Um, especially when we're in this online world, it is very easy for them to shut their computers, to not go to class, um, to not go to their online learning. Um, and so we want them to know even more so than normal that we are happy that they got out of bed for us or maybe didn't even get out of bed <laughs> and they just turned their cameras on in their beds to join us for our hour lesson. So we start with that um, and then we move forward into our lessons and we have some practices within there to really um, try to get reach all of our students as much as we can. Yeah so one of our biggest strategies that we both use a lot um, is something called Pear Deck which is a program attached to slides Uh, so it links to your slides. It's super simple. It's amazing. We could be Paradox's biggest fans. Um, and basically, to give you just a little background, if you've never heard of it, uh, you make your slides in Google Slides like you normally would. You launch Paradox, and you can make your slides interactive. So you can add on a question, and students can individually answer the question on their device with them. You can have a drawing feature and they could draw something if you wanted to have a graph and they could draw where 
the line is or whatever. Um, you can have yes or no. So you can have an opportunity for them to give you like a basically a thumbs up if they see if they agree with it or a thumbs down if they don't or if they're getting it a yes and a no if they need you to go over it again. Um, and so not only does it let you interact with students and we can kind of get into that in a minute, but um, when we're giving students that opportunity to respond like we are, we like we want in classrooms, we want them mm -hmm. to tell us if they get it, if they don't. Um, we really need to consider whether they're telling us the truth. Um, and so if you ask a student to put a thumbs up if they get it and a thumbs down if they don't, and you got that basketball player in the front row who's Mr. Popular, his girlfriend's in the back, his best friend is across the you know, aisle, and he doesn't get it at all, is he really going to honestly tell you mm. thumbs down or is he going to lie and say thumbs up? And so um, Pear Deck does it in an anonymous way. So there's no, the risk of your friend finding out that you don't have a clue what's going on in this class is so much lower and you're so much more likely to get those responses that actually help you inform your teaching and mm -hmm. change what you're doing in real time to accommodate those. Uh, students. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I really had a space out for a second. I was looking for the word interactive. Um, and a lot of like PowerPoints, even in the classroom, can be so bland. And it's really hard to make a, some lessons that are more like, like traditionally a way for us to like lecture. These make it a little less luxury and definitely give students that choice. Uh, to respond and to interact and test their knowledge in a really, really low risk way. And especially with ones that you like, they have responses, like you can, like Maggie said, uh, anonymously post those answers. Be like, look at this response. This is really a really great response. Like, let's talk about why this is a great response. And even sometimes you can be like, well, what's the slight misconception that this person had? Um, and especially if you emphasize like you, there wasn't only one person that had this, even if that's a lie, you can just be like, you weren't, this isn't the only person that was like, has this slight misconception, like let's address it. And like Maggie said, a lot of students are very receptive to being more honest and like where they're at. And at times where I'm like, oh, I'm doing such a good job. And then I check in with them. And like all of them are like in the yellow of like, I'm not like completely out of it, but I thought they all were super green, like full steam ahead. And they're like, no, Miss Bakary, we need some extra and or extra time to think or whatever. Uh, so Pear Deck really gives yeah. us that opportunity. So yeah, it definitely gives them that safety in the mm -hmm. classroom um, that they don't get in those traditional opportunities to respond things that you're used to from your education experience, you know, holding up your answer or some of the things where people can see when you're not with it. Um, or on the flip side, students that are really smart, that are really getting it, but that kind of goes against that persona that they've developed. Like, I don't want to be the kid that's always getting it right or, you know, messing up the curve or whatever that kid is. Yeah. Um, so that they also have that safety there. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about the feedback part of Pear Deck? That yeah, we're absolutely. So going off uh, what Maggie's saying with especially the long response questions and drawing features. I think you can do it for drawing too. Do you know that? Okay, moving on. Um, so they can write long responses uh, or shorter responses, however you're structuring it. But for each individual one on your teacher dashboard, you can read all of them as they come in in live time. You can see them uh, editing and such. But on each one of those individual responses, there's a little button um, that you can personally give feedback to those students. So especially if some of your students are having misconceptions and maybe you don't want to bring that out to the class, like the example I previously gave, you can say, hey, listen, um, you're looking at the atomic mass rather than the atomic number. Remember, atomic number is at the top of your periodic table square or something like that, that you don't necessarily need to bring it to the full class, but you can provide super personalized feedback, um, especially for some of your students who don't speak up in class and don't want to respond. If they have really great answers, just to give them that like, 
this is awesome. Like, keep up the good work. And sometimes they've been mentioned, like, maybe I would love for you to verbally respond to this question in a couple, like, because you can give, like, timed responses. And, like, once the timer ends, I would really love if you shared your response verbally to the class. And the fact that me calling on them and being, like, verbally calling on them and they already know that they have the right answer. So I think that takes away, personally, Mm -hmm. some of the fear of, like, talking out. Yeah, for sure. Cold calling definitely gives a lot of kids anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of those tips and tricks you can get to kind of mix up who you're calling on, because it's not just the kids that all raise their hand, but is to look at Paradeck or look at these answers and see, okay, you're right. I'm going to go tell you, like, this is so good. Would you be willing to share? Mm -hmm. Um, And they their risk is so much lower because you've already told them that it's right. Yeah. Um, so it, that's a great tool. I also really like there's a star, and I like to star the kids that have it um, right because in sixth grade, the kids, if you don't tell them exactly the way that they wrote it is okay, they freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though you can look at it and be like, well, this is basically the same thing as the answer I said is correct, a lot of them will panic and, you know, raise their hand and say, well, is this okay or is this okay? And mm-hmm. you're like, so I like to give them a little star. Like, you got a star. You're totally on it. You're great you've got it. If you're not, you know, that's okay. We'll go through it. Um, but it kind of gives them a little bit of that, like, good job. Pat on the back that they need at that age. That's actually a good idea. I, I've never used the star feature before. That's a great idea. Thank you for sharing. No um, so going off that in terms of some of other, did we want anything else with feedback? We're going to go into types of slides. Okay, so there's a quite a few different types of slides that aid in this notion of social emotional learning that we've been discussing. Um, and it goes back to also the reflection of our previous podcast episode one. Um, and there is a variety of pre-made slides that you can use to check in on your students. Uh, some of them already have been previously discussed in this episode of like, where are you at? Uh uh, are you red, yellow, or green? Or like where beyond? Like, can we do we have to completely stop this lesson and like start from the beginning, rework our understandings of previous lessons? There's also the stress test, which Maggie and I both use almost every day um, to say like, where's your stress? Sometimes I put that in. I'll put an additional one like midway through the lesson just to be like, okay, just checking in, like, how are we feeling, especially if it's a longer lesson, Um, if I'm pushing more towards, like, that 45-minute to an hour range, like, halfway through, I will put that stress check, Um, and sometimes if we have a really high stress, I'm gonna, I say, we have a five-minute break now, like, go, like, I'll turn on my camera and show them, like, me jumping around sometimes, like, just doing, like, some jumping jacks, or, like, remind them to drink some water, xyz to check in they also have like what's filling you up today what's draining your bucket which i think is a positive um, way to understand the ways that our emotions are connected to our physical beings and like our mental capacities for those days those are the ones i can think of initially those are really awesome um the other thing that it's really good for um is your own as a teacher um emotional well-being is We all know that feeling of coming home from work with just buckets of papers or different, um, even online, all those different files and everything that you need to keep track of. Um, And the beautiful thing about Pear Deck is that everything is within your slides. So within your slides for the week, you can have um, your bell ringers or your start Mm -hmm. uh, do nows, and then you can have your exit slips there as well and have them work those within the slides. And so you don't need to have that extra new file. you can link all of the websites through Pear Deck so that you don't need to put in the chat or on a different assignment the link. Um, and so it really helps kind of keep your mentality and your sameness there while you're teaching. Yeah, I completely agree because one feature I like about that is going back to like our reflection forms is like, especially at the end, like if that's like what we're doing at the end of the day is you can link that and going back though to not an extra assignment that's just tied into the assignment that they're already doing, which is really helpful for you. And also some days like when I, some of my kids start off really high. And when I do that additional check-in, like I've seen that class has visually brought them down a little and that it was actually a safe space for them. So that helps my emotional being 
as well to be like, my kids learned something today and they felt safe. And even if they are on a higher level, I can still check in and feel like I'm being attentive to their so it's really important. We um we mentioned this in our first episode, um, but again here that your own social emotional journey is the best way that you can teach your kids about social emotional learning. So acknowledging those opportunities that you know I'm doing this because this is making me feel better, or um, you know this practice here. Um, I like seeing your feed or your answers, and that you guys are all on track because that makes me feel like I'm doing a good job teaching which makes me feel better. Um, And those opportunities and anywhere else that you can fill in those um, things about your own experience and your own emotions uh, will help your kids exponentially. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that rounds out our episode. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, So thanks for hanging out with us uh, while we talked about our favorite tools for social emotional learning. If you have not used Pear Deck, we cannot recommend it enough. We need Pear Deck to sponsor this podcast. but please check it out. Please uh, reach out if you have any questions. Yeah, have thank you. Day. Be safe out there. <laughs> Hi, welcome back to your favorite podcast, Working Harder, Not Smarter. I'm Maggie. And I'm Jules. And today we're going to talk to you about getting feedback. So if you're an educator, I'm sure you're overwhelmed with the amount of feedback that you get from mentors colleagues, uh, your administrators, people from your district, and everywhere else in between, everyone seems to have an idea of Parents. how you can be doing your uh, work better than you are now. So we're going to talk about um, who, how we get those, that feedback, how we internalize it, and then how we move forward, uh, especially for those of you in your early years of teaching. Yeah, for sure. So we just want to go back to our first and second podcast. We talk about receiving feedback from our students, specifically, um, really in episode one. But we talked a lot about that then of like, showing your students tangible ways that you are changing based on what they need, and letting them reflect on that and then interpreting that the best you can be. Um, And I really like to just be like, based on the feedback that I received last week, just to emphasize that I'm reading the feedback, like I read every single one of those forms every single week. Um, And that's something that's really important to me um, during that during that time. I think that getting feedback from your kids is one of the best ways that you can grow as an educator, but one of the least utilized. Um, Yeah. Because it is hard to confront to the kids that maybe I'm not being the best teacher that I can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we also think that they don't notice a lot of things. So we think, oh, well, they're not going to really be able to help us grow. And I think a lot of times they, you know, a lot of them do kind of skip over like, oh, you're doing great or I love you or whatever. Um, but there are enough of them that will make pointed remarks of like, oh, I wish you did this or I don't like this. Yeah. Um, and so it is important. I think the more you do it to the more they get used to looking for things for you, which is hard to have kids in your class that are looking for the places that you mess up. Um, as a person that hates failure, has a huge fear of it. It's not great to have a bunch of kids that are looking for my failures. Um, but the only way you grow is by confronting those places that you weren't as good as you could be. Yeah. And last thing on that is it also just builds such good relationships with your students because as a teacher, you're in a position of power and also the nature of your job is to correct them um, and to criticize them. So showing them that it's more of an equal, slightly equal, like of them being able to have the power and empowering them to provide feedback and make you better, I think is just shows vulnerability but also helps you develop relationships with your students so next we're going to talk about our mentors so we're in teach kentucky if you don't know so we uh that's a program shout out to teach kentucky they should probably sponsor us too (laughs) but so through that program we get uh mentors from like rta so retired teacher advocates that help us out uh, throughout the summers we as new teachers in jcps have uh, school-based mentors through jcps we have mentors and they're called supervisors now i believe but they're still a type of mentor who am i missing we have you so we are in a grad school program where we have mentors from there as well um, and then you also have um, people in your same department or your mm-hmm. uh, middle school. We work on teams. And so they're not official mentors, but they're teachers that have been teaching 
you know, longer than you've been alive. And so they also have some feedback for you. So as you can see, as second year teachers, we are just inundated with um, mentors, mentors, and mentors galore um, that have oodles of feedback for Mm -hmm. us. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot of people sometimes that I would in my school, I would say that really provide me a lot of feedback that I really did not ask for. Um, And that's like a weird thing about power. But we're going to talk about interpreting uh, data and feedback later. Uh, So really, let's start with our university supervisors. Then start there. Uh, Yeah, so I have a really close relationship with my university supervisor. Um, I think the thing about mentors is you kind of have to decide which one is going to be your go-to person Um, because you just, you're not going to go to everybody. Um, And so that one person you're going to really try to build that relationship with that seems to be the most invested in with you because a lot of these are assigned roles. Um, And so not all of them are actually that invested in you or your growth um, as much as others. And so my university mentor has been amazing, and she has been a great place for me to go to rant, but also to develop. Um, and as, you know, first-year teachers, we had a dumpster fire of a year, like most <laughs> first-year teachers. And then, um, and then we had a pandemic, which really was just a wild end to a wild year. Um, but the nice thing about some of these, my UofL mentor, my university mentor, is that she stuck uh, with me through both years um, and we get to look at how much I've grown in my practice and the things that are going better this year that we couldn't even imagine last year mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine she was able to kind of see like well here's the things that you're doing really well please focus on these things because you're not the worst teacher out there um, and I think the mentors are in my experience just a lot more focused on the things that you're doing really, really well. And please just like focus on those. And I don't think they're quite as um, good or quite as like, I don't think they tried to pick out all of your flaws necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think they really do try to build you up um, for those other people that maybe will pick on those little things. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Like, so my more chosen person was my um, school-based mentor who was also a random person. Um, but my university supervisor before I switched supervisors, they were, we were not like a great match, um, wasn't providing me with the things that I needed at the time. And that's no one's fault, just was what it is. And going back to just mentors, our school-based mentor, definitely going what Maggie said, like that was a horribly constructed sentence moving on, is that once you choose that person and like you jive really well and you get along, um, you soon like value their feedback so much and they like Maggie said as well like they want you to succeed so badly and they see you in some really low places and they are just like eval un- invaluable 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 uh thank you all for never mind um resources in your growth and I, I know my mentor teacher she's really just become my friend to be honest, but still such a big influence in just wanting me to grow and be a better person and teacher at large. So yeah, they don't want to criticize you as much, but like they, if you say like, I needed more criticism, like I've said that to my mentors before, um, they will provide it because they notice it, but they don't always want to bring that to the Mm -hmm. table because that's not always what you need at the time. Yeah. I think the things that we maybe want to, you to consider um in those relationships with your mentors of being very clear about what you want from that relationship and that could go for any of these feedbacks um your mentor you do have a little bit more of a choice in that what that relationship looks like um but do you want somebody that is going to you know send you here's your glows and your grows or your thorns and your berries of like here's your good and your bad do you want somebody that's going to help you um with you know, just building yourself up? Do you want somebody that's going to help you with your actual instructional practice? Or do you want somebody that's going to help you with your behavior management? Do you want somebody that's going to help you develop that work-life balance? Um, Or somebody that's going to help you with, you know, technology resources? Um, Because a lot of them have been working for so long, they 
could do all of the things, but in the time they have, they can't, obviously. Um, and so the best way to succeed in one of these relationships is to be very clear about what you're looking for from it. What do you hope to get out of it? And then let them know when they're doing a great job of that or when you kind of want more of something or not. Yeah, I completely agree. Just good communication between you and your mentor is just really critical for your growth. And honestly, just like we want our kids to grow. I mean, I want my mentor to grow some as well and become the best that she can be as well. So just keep that in mind. So while you have a lot of choice in your mentor, you do not have a lot of choice in who (laughs) your administrators are, um, who your evaluating administrator is, um, and all of that. And so if you're an educator, you're very familiar with, um, you know, you have principals and vice principals, and you have evaluating administrators, and you have just your general administrator. And so your evaluating administrator is the one we want to talk about today. Uh, the one that at the end of the year gets to decide whether they keep you or whether they get rid of you, uh, which is quite a daunting relationship to start. Yes, for sure. Like the fact that they, my evaluating met, like person um, just left after my she didn't even stay for my whole lesson like 10 minutes like she got a call or something and she just left and then I didn't hear from her for like a week or two and I was like she just doesn't want to tell me that she's gonna fire me um so it is a very uh terrifying relationship and some observations to um endure but I mean it's worth it and it all works out in the end of course you're exactly where you're supposed to be Okay, uh, well, well for Maggie and I, I should say, uh, it all worked out in the end of in that endeavor. And those are more much more formal observations. They have a series of standards that they really have to evaluate you on and looking at your PGP and the ways that you succeeded in your professional growth plan, ways that you may not have. Um, at least my evaluating administrator brought that up. And we really talked about how my new PGP, how I should adapt and grow from that experience so those are really intense yeah I think the difference with the administrator ones is that your observations your feedback from them is a lot more technical it is a lot Mm -hmm. more critical um so they're evaluating you in comparison to teachers that have been doing it for 25 years um and so while they acknowledge that you are not going they don't expect you to be um exemplary and everything because that would be impossible as a first, second, or third year teacher, you are being kind of compared against them. And so you are going to be marked Mm -hmm. as novice. You are going to be marked as proficient in that, like, you're getting there, but you're not there. Um, And so again, as somebody that's afraid of failure and somebody that hates to be less than an A, um, it is very hard to sit in those meetings and hear, um, you know, well, you're, you're not that great at this. And you're like, you know that in your head, but to hear it from another person doesn't always feel good. Um, Which I think, takes us right into our last section um, about what to do with all of this feedback, especially that stuff from the administrators or the district people who Mm -hmm. are a little bit harsher than your mentors. Yeah, that was a harsh transition between like what my mentor was telling me and then what my evaluating administrator. And that was a balance. I just quick thing is, is it's really hard sometimes when you're receiving feedback, not to get defensive um and initially or immediately be like wait no like you're misinterpreting like or like that was an off day or but then going into the ways that we have to choose to self-reflect and sort of filter out the different types of feedback that we are receiving as first second year teachers but also as just teachers in general at large um So number one, I would always say first step is to just take a step back. Um, And sometimes it's way better to just almost be silent in certain moments of like stress or just to take some extra breaths or be like, I'm going to come back uh, later if I really need to talk to you about this. But just be like gracious in some capacity because they want you to grow like your especially your administrators like you are reflected in them or they are reflected in your work. So they want you to be better. And that's one of the reasons that they're so technical um, is because you are a reflection of their school and they're a huge figurehead of that school. So that's a big part of it. So filtering out the information. But number one, take a step back. I would say, and like truly reflect, like, was it an off day or are you not good at that? Because maybe you're not good at that. And that's really hard to like 
really sit back and be like, I am not good at that. And that's okay because you want to grow and you want to be better every day. So that's my biggest thing is definitely take a step back at times. Yeah, I think that you have to, um, when Jude mentioned, you know, like they want you to grow. And I think that's an important thing. Like we know that when we give our student feedback, when they turn in a paper, even if it's the best paper you've had all day, you still have things that you want them to work on or work on and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do it out of love. And then you do it because you want them to be better. And uh, your administrators or your mentors are all doing the same thing. Um, so know that it's not an attack. I think that's, you yeah. know, when Jules said, take a step back, feedback is not an attack. Um, I think the other thing is prioritize, with, or not prioritize, but think about from the very beginning what you want to work on. What are your three or four things that you're already really good? Those are your strengths. Those are your, this is as a teacher what I have to bring to the classroom that I'm already I'm gifted in. And then what are the things that I acknowledge I'm not, but are priorities for me in growing? Um, and if you look at all of your feedback through that lens of here are the things, you know, when they give you feedback, are those part of those things that you've prioritized already? Okay, great. Then you're really going to want to pay attention to that feedback. Is it things that you think you're already good at? Okay, well, then that means it's even closer to you. And that's how you can even more um, golden eyes, I guess, or make that really good. Um and then if it's not one of those three things or those four things that you think are priorities, then really evaluate, like, how important is it that you put into that practice? Now, if it's coming from your principal and it's something that they started your meeting off, then that needs to then become a priority because telling your principal that you're not going to do something that they highly, highly recommend is not a good move professionally. Um, but if it's something that comes from somebody that was in your classroom for five minutes um, that doesn't know you, that doesn't know your students, that doesn't know your goals, then it's something that you can toss out and say, like, this is not, this is not my focus. Um, because it's just, you know, practicality, you can't improve everything in one year. You yep. can't improve everything in one career. Um, and so you have to kind of focus on what are the things that you think are going to best help you and best help your students. Yeah, for sure. Is Yeah, filtering it out, prioritizing, taking a deep breath, um, not get defensive are all like, I'd say the biggest tools for self-reflection and all that good stuff. I'd also urge you, um, if you're someone, once you write or receive this feedback, is to write about it to really help you or like journal about it or talk it out with someone or X, Y, Z to like really to dive deep into that feedback to become the best teacher that you can be. And that's what you ask your students to do is to write about it, to reflect on how they can grow and be better. So I encourage you to do the same. I know it's hard sometimes to like sit down and write yourself a letter of how you want to be better, but it's critical for your own growth. So that's probably my last thing. Remember, you're growing and becoming better every single day. And feedback is part of that for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think as a teacher, it feels overwhelming. Um, because there's just so many people that feel like they have an input in your career in ways that other professions do not. Um, mm-hmm. But I think approaching it as a gift that each and every comment or hopefully each and every comment is an intention to make you feel better at your job and to serve, ultimately to serve your kids better, which is why you're in the profession mm-hmm. in the first place. And so keep that in mind, even if it comes from a place of negativity or a place of a person that you don't think is trying to help you grow. Um, most, if not all of it, is trying to make you better for your kids and accept it as much as you can, utilize it as much as you can, be open as much as you can. I completely agree. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll uh, see you next time. Be safe.